Jalen and Jacoby, the after show is brought to you by AT&T. And now, Jalen and Jacoby. Welcome to the Jalen and Jacoby After Show. Jalen, once again, here I am, live with you, right after two episodes of The Last Dance on a Sunday night that again blew my mind. It just keeps getting better and better every single Sunday night. What are your initial reactions from episode five and six? So many different reactions, Jacoby. Um... Your guy, Isaiah Thomas, was left off the dream team, and, and Michael Jordan sort of separated himself a little bit from that decision. I want to that, talk to that was heartbreaking. Jason Hare about that. Yeah, that you know what I loved about these episodes, Jalen Rose? I loved watching the greatest of all time, the GOAT, one of the best athletes that this species has ever produced, struggle on the golf course just like I do. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, I can't get my driver right. And I'm like, I feel you, Michael Jordan. I totally feel you, my guy. I'm going to give everybody an underlying theme. As somebody that played with the Bulls after the Jordan era, something that I saw that after this moment, everybody that's seen the doc can now run with for public consumption. What's that? That nobody's discussing. What's that? You notice a couple of the Bulls employees, like the equipment guy, like the media relations guy, people that were really close to Jerry Krause, they envied Michael Jordan's success and fame. They envied it. Mm-hmm. You remember the part where he even called his security the Sniff Brothers. You remember that part? Yeah, of course. As people who now know all of the parties involved, and same thing with PR. It was like, oh, they thought he was such a big deal. Yeah, he was the biggest deal. And so this is what went through the building and ultimately led to their overall demise after winning six championships. Well, I'm glad you mentioned his success and his fame because that was explored in depth this evening and not always the positive. And we do see the positive, the endorsements and the deal with Nike. But we also see the negative. And it seemed like he was a, a hostage in his own hotel room. And they did a really good job of just sort of what it's like to be Michael Jordan. Now, you know what it's like to leave a hotel room and to have fans outside a hotel and to go to an arena and have people want your signature. But Granted, you're a great NBA player and you're a superstar, (laughs) but nothing to the level of Michael Jeffrey Jordan during the mid-90s. And this documentary this evening did a really good job of showing how that's something that we all want. We all want to be like Mike, but when you are Mike, you want to not be like Mike. And it was just such a such a really well done of portraying. It's a, it's a it's a sentiment that we've seen in so many documentaries, in so many behind the musics where, oh, it was fame and the, it, we wanted it, we wanted it, we wanted it, we got it, and then it turned bad. But I felt like this evening that did a really good job of explaining exactly why and how and what the experience was like for Michael Jordan during that time. What do you think? I think it, 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 it's great throughout these series to acknowledge how he became the best player in the league in the eighties, the most dominant and exciting player that the game has seen. And then how he elevated one three in a row and became the goat at that point. Just think about it. He had three peated something that magic bird, Isaiah, Dr. J hadn't done. He was the GOAT then, Jacoby. Just think about that. He was the GOAT before he left the game. 
And so having him on your squad and being able to go anywhere, he can't take one step out of his room without being acknowledged. He's the most famous pitch man on the earth, commercials, movies. Like it, it, it just didn't stop with his popularity. So nobody will be able to garner, garner what he was able to do as far as making the game mainstream. And it also showed the immense pressure that that created. And I think now to get some more insight, not just on these episodes, but on Michael Jordan himself, we're going to bring in the director of the film, The Last Dance, Jason Ayer. We're all in the same boat, stuck in our homes during a quarantine, joining our friends on Zoom calls. We all know there's a lot going on right now in the world, and we're all shopping online as we stay at home. I just saw that AT&T started doing two really helpful things for those who want to buy a new phone or device online. They're offering fast, free, no-contact delivery and curbside pickup so that online shopping is simple and safe as possible. On top of that, they have a flexible return policy so you can shop at ease. You can visit att.com to learn how to shop online from the safety of your home 24-7. Subjects to change, restrictions apply. We've been doing this show for nine years, it seems like. We've still been having the same debate when it comes to who's the greatest of all time in the NBA. It's the great debate. Who's the best of the best? Who's the real deal of the NBA? When it comes to home and auto insurance, there's only one real deal, and that is State Farm. But Jalen, me and you go back and forth. I don't do the cross-era comparisons because I feel like it's like technology. It just gets better with time, so you can't do cross-era comparisons. But during this The Last Dance run, it seems like the debate has been sort of brought back up. And some tells me I know where you side on this one. MJ, six championships, six MVPs. Nobody will do that. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, six championships, six league MVPs. Nobody ever do that. He's a league's all-time leading scorer. Bill Russell, 11 championships, 13 years. That'll never happen again. LeBron is great. He deserves to be on Rob Rushmore, Mount Rushmore. You can fight me for this next one because he's my favorite player, Magic Johnson. I think he won five championships in 13 years. You can fight me on that one and give LeBron his spot. But for me, LeBron got to win one with the Lakers to pass Magic. But if you want to put LeBron at fourth, three championships, 17 seasons, three teams. The other people just accomplished greater achievements in the NBA. Well, obviously, I disagree, but whatever your opinion may be, there's only one thing everyone can agree on. There's nothing realer than a teammate you can rely on. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Like we always do at this time, Jalen, it is time to introduce the director of The Last Dance and our friend... Jason Ayer. Jason, welcome back to the program. This man is trending. He is. Call your tailor, Jason. You're You're going to get so many awards. You're going to get so many awards about this. And now that we're a couple weeks in, you know what? I know you're not going to brag because I know you and you're humble, but isn't it fun (laughs) just to watch the rest of the world enjoy this and just see the fruits of your labor trend all over Twitter? 
Uh, it's bizarre. Um, cause I say this every week now, I feel like, but we're still doing it. So we come up out of our hole and we, we kind of like peek up and, and see what people are thinking. And then we go back down. Um, <laughs> it's, I, it, it's, it's also bizarre that in 2020, man, people don't, people aren't unanimous one way or the other about many things. I think it's a sign of the times that everybody's a little bit less cynical now. Everybody's looking to argue a little bit less than they normally would be. And I think that, that, this this doc scratches a lot of nostalgic itches. It's fun. It's uh, it's just simple and exciting to watch. So for people who have seen all this stuff already, it's fun to visit that place and and to to have that that warm, safe feeling of, of how you felt when you first saw it. And then the the cool part is is for people to share with me, strangers sharing with me online that they watch it with their son or their daughter, or they call their dad after they watched it because he remembered something about that. And and so to see people connecting that way is really gratifying for myself and our entire team. Yeah. Well, it it is a very nostalgic watch. We all remember the where we were when we watched these moments on court, but episode five started with something that's emotional for a different reason. It was the, Madison Square Garden All-Star Game in which Kobe Bryant had his first appearance and Michael Jordan was there as well. What was the decision to start episode five with the Kobe-Jordan relationship? It was always that way. Um, when we when we first drafted out what the arc of the entire season was going to be, the All-Star break, of course, happens midway through the season. So we knew that All-Star scene uh, and MSG was going to be somewhere in episode five or six. And then we settled on the top of, of episode five. Um, to leave episode four with them playing their final game of the first half of the season, that loss in Utah. So we interviewed Kobe last July and then we didn't cut that scene or edit that scene until um, December and, and, and largely after new year's. And we finished it around January 16th or so midway through the month. Wow. And then um, the, the, the accident happened and, and it was mind blowing for all of us. I still can't wrap my head around that, especially to see him on screen, uh, talking like that it's it, it, it still doesn't make sense to me but um the only thing we changed about that scene was to add the dedication to the top of of the scene um and the top of the show but otherwise that scene plays exactly as we cut it uh when we finished it um when kobe was still with us and i had so many emotions because seeing the late great kobe Bryant and prayers to all of the families who were affected by you know, the, the terrible and, and tragic accident. It was me watching MJ in the final season of him winning the championship and then playing against Kobe in the first year that he won his championship and Phil was the coach for both guys. And MJ didn't have any for, foresight to this because he was facing Kobe in the All-Star game and almost was like he was looking in the rearview mirror, mirror. And he was really focused on the fact that Kobe wanted to go one-on-one. He, he made a point to let everybody know about that. So what were your um, feelings on him making sure he acknowledged that he wanted to slow down Kobe in an All-Star game? I mean, how much does that say about Kobe? as a player and as a person and as a presence that the greatest player of all time is sitting there in, in his last all-star game as a bull in the Mecca at Madison square garden, his favorite place outside of Chicago to play in the world. And the topic of conversation right before tip off is not him. It's not his all-star memories. It's not what's going on in the East that year. 
it's that little Laker boy is going to take make this a one-on-one game. And keep in mind, too, <laughs> the words that he uses, he's not saying he's going to try and make this a one-on-one game. He's saying, I'm going to make this a one-on-one game. I mean, Kobe's going to exert his will at the age of 19 over all of the best players in the NBA at that time. And if you look at the young players, the Pennies and the KGs and, and the Grand Hills, and then the older folks who were on the court there at, at the time as well, it just it speaks volumes about Kobe and the fact that they knew that this kid was a different species when he came in, that even, even MJ, even the GOAT is saying he's going to dictate the pace of this game and there's nothing we're going to be able to do about it. I mean, one thing that's been fun about doing this after show with you is when you tell sort of the stories of the people, the subjects of these interviews kind of testing you and your knowledge as a director. Like when you told us about Phil Jackson, of course, Michael Jordan with the infamous drink at the hotel. And what was Kobe Bryant like to interview? I mean, he's also intense and very focused and high IQ for the game. What was the interaction with him like before you sat down during the interview? That was the day of the ESPYs. So he was finalizing his his speech where he was going to present an award to Bill Russell. So I think that that we were in the back of his mind that day because he was very very uh, he was very concentrated on what he was going to wear that night and and how they were getting up to the arena. We did that at his office. So uh, he came in, he came onto the set, um, and he hadn't even sat down yet, and he was like, "All right, let's go." Like this was, this was, this was like it was going to be tip off. It wasn't that we were rolling camera. It's that we were throwing a ball up to, to, to play, you know, go to 11s, uh, by ones and twos. So it felt immediately like a game. And then to mm. sit there and, and, and discuss with him, I mean, he's, he's going to hold things close to the vest and he, he's not going to give up his, his love or reverence for MJ that, that easily because I'm sure in his mind, he's, he's just as much of the goat as, as, as MJ or LeBron or anybody else that you want to bring up. So, um, I oh. think one of my first questions was, you know, when was your pair, first pair of Jordans that you got? And, and tell me about your idolization of, of him as a kid. And he said, I was a magic guy and I didn't Ooh. wear Jordans because <laughs> we couldn't get Jordans where I was. I was in Italy, so I couldn't get them. So someone sent me, he would not give it up. And I wanted him to say like, yeah, that was my guy. It was only when we got further into the conversation that he started to say that he would study his moves. And then, of course, when when we started discussing the All-Star game and I never knew. I mean, I had heard that they were friends away from the cameras and, and Jalen can attest to this, that there's a thousand different friendships that we don't know about in the NBA. But being as cynical as I am after 20 something years in this business, I thought like, OK, well, he was your big brother, really, like you were that close. OK, fine. And then for Michael to, to make the, the speech that he made at the memorial service, um, and to be as emotional as he was, I mean, they, that this really was a, a brotherly relationship and, and that, that Michael helped Kobe through some hard times, both on and off the floor. Uh, and in his, and in his words, made him what he was. You know, I didn't even go there with, I did, I think, I think what elicited that response when he said, I don't like when people ask me one on one who would win. Cause I said, I heard that you said to MJ one time, prime Kobe against prime MJ, I would take you. And we started joking about that. And he said, I honestly don't even like discussing it because it's disrespectful to him to even discuss that, that I might be able to beat him. So when people come up to me, I say, yo, slow your roll. Like I got everything you see from me came from him. That's where that, that soundbite came from. So it was, he's a tough nut to crack, man. Like he's competitive about everything and he was going to make me earn the sound bites that we got for the doc. He wasn't just going to sit there and start, you know, pouring out his soul. He was going to make sure that I had that the hammer and a nail and, and tried to crack him. There won't be an athlete 
that sells and has the popularity of Michael Jordan and what he's done with Nike. But one of the things that people have been texting me about all night and it's trending and people are going crazy is that how the technology evolved to the point where MJ wanted to play in his Jordan one and be nostalgic because he was in the garden. He was doing work. It was going to be his final time there. And his feet were bleeding. People bugging off this part of the story, Jason. Did you know about this before you interviewed him? I didn't. Um, and and Michael insists to this day that there's pictures and or video of the, him peeling off his bloody shoes. I can attest to, to to my team that we have the best people in the business for digging this stuff up. So I would love to see it because he said that he couldn't even get his shoes off at halftime. Wow. Um, and if you know, I mean, you wear retro ones now and they're actually pretty comfortable. The ones that he slipped on were the ones from 84, 85. And I'm sure that they felt much more like someone wrapped the shoe boxes around his feet than he actually had <laughs> shoes on his feet. Um, but that was his way. He, he was not going to come out and say that season, this is it. I am done. But that's, that's the best way that he can, he can think of to, to, um, to just put this signal out there that like, this is it. I'm doing this for a reason. And he knew that, that they weren't going to face the Knicks in the playoffs that year. So what better way to, to come out there? I mean, when I first, that's one of those shots when you're watching the footage that I could not believe we had him sitting there talking to Tony Kukoc and these guys in the locker room about these shoes and, and comparing today's shoes, which were, you know, whatever he was wearing, 13s or 14s, which were today's at the time, um, comparing those to the ones. And then the moment with Patrick after the game was just like gold. You had to rewind it and say, wait, what did he say? And when it's, we had to take it back to 84 to whip your ass, like, that's all right. That's it. That's it. <laughs> oh, man. The, uh, the relationship with Nike and the legacy of the sneakers is such sort of so a big part of the sort of overarching Jordan story. And one of the things I love about watching this documentary is how little holes in my memory get filled because I always just associate Jordan with Nike, Jordan with Nike. But you forget during the time, Converse that had all the big stars mm-hmm. and Adidas. And like they said in the film, Nike was more of a, a track brand. What can you tell us about that decision urged like his mother was the one that made him go meet with Nike. Like yeah. what can you tell us that you didn't make the film about that relationship between Nike and Michael Jordan, and how it started? There's a couple of things is, is, is that struck me. Um, spot built. Do you remember them? Jalen? Absolutely. Dominique used to rock those. Yeah. Who do you think you're so, talking to? <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're sneaker guys. But when I say spot built to people, like I, I, as a test to whether or not I should include it in the story, Before knowing what spot built was. Um, and those were like Etonics, you said, right? Mm-hmm. Before he yeah. went to Etonics, no um, doubt. So they matched the offer. Ooh. It, Michael Jordan came this close to being with Spot Built because the, the spokesman for Spot Built at the time was another athlete, um, who had broken, who transcended some, some wow. racial bounds. It's a guy named OJ Simpson. And he said to the guys at Spot Built, wow. The kid out of Carolina is the next me. Go get him. So they matched Nike's offer, but they couldn't match the marketing. They couldn't promise David Falk that they would market Michael the way um, that Nike would. And that ultimately is what put that deal over the top um, financially for them. The other thing was, I think is, is funny is that Michael, after all of this roundabout negotiations and the mom and dad say, this is the best deal. You got to go. He still called Adidas and said, are you sure? 
And they said no. <laughs> but it's just so mean, funny to think we could all be wearing spot belts right now. I can have a closet full of spot belts. And they right were now. a sports and leisure shoe. They weren't really <laughs> a basketball shoe. It comes down to a coin flip, okay, during the 84 draft. And if the coin flip flips the other way, heads instead of tails, Michael Jordan is a rocket. And if another coin flips the right way, he's wearing spot belt. We could all be rocking yellow and orange spot belts right now and thinking that that <laughs> is the retro shoe. So it's these little moments, man, that, that you get you get access to. But think if you if you extrapolate that out this many years to now, the effect that that had. I mean, imagine the guy who he called at Adidas. Someone made that. Someone received that phone call and said. No, nah, Michael Jordan, um, we're going to let you go to another shoe company. Uh, we don't need your services at this time. Thank you very much. I mean, now you would move heaven and earth. I don't care what they say about the company was in disarray and, and uh, the founder of the company had passed away and his kids didn't know. No, you have another. I think that the Air Jordan brand under the Nike umbrella sells out almost every brand in the world to this day. So it's sliding doors moments like that, man, that are fascinating to me from when you look at this thing from a business angle. Jason, when you're putting together a documentary, it needs a soundtrack. <laughs> the tunes continue to improve. Best part. <laughs> they do. Great job. What's up with your jukebox? What went into these songs? These were the ones. I mean, this this was the episode I was looking forward to musically because um you know, mid eighties, you have, there's, we, we were going to do sucker MCs. We were going to do hard times. Ooh. We wanted to get a run DMC song in there and you'll hear some Ooh. run DMC later in the series. Um, I knew we wanted special ed. I got it made. It just yep. seemed, it seemed to match him when he first got that deal. Um, it's kind of like it's cocky, but it's not over the top flamboyant. Um, and then even like black sheep for 92, that to me was the anthem of that year. Mm. And, and, and day, don't sleep on Atlanta. Once we get to Atlanta, what do we hear? We hear Rosa Parks, Outcast, um, and we have been saving that one as well. We 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 didn't know if we were going to use that for just like a, a ninety eight domination regular season domination uh, montage because if we're telling the story of the ninety eight ninety eight ninety seven ninety eight season month by month, there's not much to tell about the months of February and, and March. They were just dominating the East, and it was clear that they were going to march to the 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 playoffs and be the number one or two seed. So there's not much drama there. Um, that's right. One or two. Yeah. That's right. One or two. Because yeah. our coaches was at the all-star game in yep. February. He was yep. hugging Larry Joe Bird in this <laughs> documentary during all-star weekend. And yep. shout to Rick the Ruler and Reggie who made the all-star game. I was watching. Rick Carlisle makes his triumphant return in this documentary after calling his mommy in, in 1986 at the garden. Now he's standing right beside Larry Joe Bird in, in the, uh, in the locker room. So we had run out of storyline at that point. It was a problem. There, there wasn't much going on. It became clear at the all-star break. Jerry Krause reiterated, doubled down and said, this is it. And then you have the, the all-star game was played very early that year. I think it was like February 1st or the 8th or something like that. So we had, Two months until the all the uh, the playoffs started, where there was not much drama. They just they were winning thirteen out of fifteen, nine out of twelve. I mean, they were playing a, at a really good clip, and there wasn't much to say. We had established how good this team was, so we packed a lot of backstory into these two episodes five and six because we had the playoffs waiting for us on the other side. Uh, seven wow. to ten. Hold on, you said there wasn't a lot of drama there, but there was certainly a lot of drama when it comes to selections. 
for the Dream Team. Now, the Dream Team episode sort of happened here. And uh, a gentleman that was discussed a lot in episode three and episode four came up in episode five. Gentleman by the name of Isaiah Lord Thomas. And Michael said to you on camera with a microphone, he kind of said that he had no influence over the decision to omit Isaiah Thomas from that team. You were in the room. You've spoken to Michael many times. I don't believe it watching the documentary. Did he say that he must be on a team or else? (laughs) He did not say he had no influence. He never said that. What he said was, was, and I'm not trying to, to be his spin doctor here, but what he said was the decision was not my decision alone. And it is, it is semantics that he says, you know, I said to Rod Thorne, who's all playing. And he said, the guy you're talking about is not playing. That doesn't absolve Michael of bringing up <laughs> Isaiah's name. I agree with you there. But I also agree that a lot of guys on that team at that time had beef with Isaiah. It's not like the, the rest of the guys on that squad loved Isaiah and they were going to acquiesce to Michael because he and Michael had beef. Scotty, Scotty to this day has, has beef with Isaiah. I think more than Michael does. Uh, he had had it out with Carl Malone. He, he had a lot of stuff uh, behind the scenes with, with uh, Magic Johnson. And then you have the lingering resentment or the lingering rivalry between Larry Bird Celtics and, and the bad boy Pistons. So it's not like guys on that team. I do believe Michael when he says that guys on that team were not clamoring uh, to, to play with him. The other thing that you have to uh, take into account is that they had Magic Johnson and John Stockton. Stop! Don't! 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 No! No! No, Jason! No way! Don't try to justify the positions! Don't Don't got a spot for him! No minutes for him! No minutes for Isaiah on this team! No, that's not what I was going to say. That's not what I was going to say. What I was going to say is that, especially in international basketball, this is what I was told, all right? I don't know shit about basketball. All I know is what I watch on the weekends, okay? I'm not claiming that I know more than Jalen Rhodes. I'm not saying that. You probably do, trust me. <laughs> but what I was told, and next week I'll find the exact bite in, in our 160. Ooh, this exclusive. But more Listen than one up. person told me that Joe Dumars is the guard from that team that would have been chosen for the Dream Team because he was a defensive stopper in the backcourt. And they had uh, Magic Johnson and John Stockton at point guard. They needed a defensive stopper. Ch- who was the coach of that team? Chuck Daly. Daly. Daddy Chuck Rick. Daly's not going to turn around and take Joe Dumars over Isaiah Thomas on the dream team and have to deal with that in October when they opened the 92-93 season. So there's a lot of things that went into it. Mm. Well, I don't wow. think I'll that was a dagger play. into my heart. I know. Oh I, know. I, I will say this. I think that Isaiah Thomas is among the top five most underrated players of my lifetime. I think that that people, he will never get his props. He'll never get his due because people keep on bringing things like this up. Isaiah Thomas didn't shake Michael Jordan's hand after a basketball game in 1991. And that's what people want to talk to him about this week. Not what he does for charity, not the great career that he had at Indiana, not the Hall of Fame career that he had and possibly, as Michael himself says, top two point guards in the history of the NBA. People... It's clickbait and people want to talk about the controversial stuff. So I feel, I feel bad that if Isaiah is getting an excessive amount of heat for this, I don't regret it. I think we told the truth and I think everyone who, who we interviewed told the truth about what they feel and we reflected that. But I do feel bad that this is what people want to concentrate on is, well, did they want him to play on that team? Well, who cares if, if they did or they didn't? It doesn't take away from the accomplishments that that man had in his career. Well, uh, Jalen, my next question is for you because there's a section during this episode which is a 
a, a sort of infamous quote from Michael Jordan that says Republicans buy sneakers too. And we sort of all know the implications of that as well. And Jalen, when you were living during this period and watching this documentary this evening, what did you think about Michael Jordan and his not it's his lack of involvement in sort of social and political issues through the course of his career, given his so, large influence? So Jacoby, some of my favorite athletes, Muhammad Ali, Bill mm-hmm. Russell. Muhammad Mm -hmm. Ali, Jim Brown, they were socially and politically conscious about change. So when he said that, along with me being a Pistons fan, it was kind of easy for me to continue to root against him, even though he was the best player of all time. And it made me want to do the opposite if I had the opportunity. And so that was something that uh, was an urban legend, but definitely people, especially in the urban community, held against him. And uh, Jason, as a director of a film, and you're working with so many different, you know, sort of corporations and parties on this, you've got ESPN and Netflix and the NBA and Jordan and his people. When you get to this section of the storytelling, when you get to the stuff that's not all great, not all perfect, what is the relationship like? And what is, what is the decision making like telling this story of some of the criticisms of Michael Jordan? I thought we would get more pushback. I was prepared to get more pushback, um, frankly, from Michael's camp even though these people have become very close to them over the, over the course of the last four years, um, their job is, is to protect Michael's image. And, and Michael is, is Teflon in a lot of ways. So we submitted our rough cut and I was, I was determined to submit the rough cut the way we wanted it. Um, Michael certainly had no problem with my bringing it up in the interview. In fact, it's one of the first things that we discussed when I first met him that day where, where, where I had to go up there and, and chose the drink that I was going to have and all that. This is <laughs> one of the first things that we discussed. We got to talk about that. Was, was the, um, was Republicans buy sneakers too and how he feels about how that's been construed or misconstrued over the years. And this was one of the signals to me from the very get go that he was going to go some places that I had never heard him go because I had never even heard any sort of confirmation that he said that mm. I'd never heard him say, yeah, I said it. And this is why I said it. I, 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 had, I had read so many books and so many different articles about this, but it's always like, if I said it, I said this, or maybe he did say it. Maybe Horace Grant misconstrued it and gave it to Sam Smith. There's all kinds of urban legends about that quote. So to have him just plainly say it was said in jest, acknowledge that he did in fact say it. Um, and it goes back to mm. the conversation I had with him at the at the outset, which was that in order for us to be a legitimate, comprehensive telling of this story of the Bulls dynasty and of the rise of Michael Jordan, um, we have to we have to confront, we have to tackle some topics that aren't easy to discuss and may not end up reflecting 100 percent perfectly on you. Um, but it's my job to ask those questions and it, it's your prerogative to answer them however you want. So that goes well, back to the first time that I met him. We were going to tackle things like this. Well, uh, Jason, we obviously appreciate you coming and joining us and discussing episode five. And I'm glad that we are sort of taking a break at this note because in episode six, there's also some things that don't paint, paint Michael Jordan in the greatest light that I imagine were difficult to discuss with him and difficult to sort of put in the documentary. And, of course, the book that you just mentioned, Jordan Rules, and the effect that that had. Will you stick around and talk to us more about that in a little bit? Absolutely. Well, that's going to do it for episode five of Jalen Jacoby, The After Show. But don't leave yet. Right now, you can listen to episode six. Grab a snack, maybe another beverage like Michael Jordan did. And we'll see you on the other side.